recording straight out of Five Scotland. You're listening to Films and Swearing, a movie podcast with your host, Stuart Sutherland. And Kenneth Broson. Alright folks, this is just a little introduction to the Death Note episode I recorded with Kenneth Broson uh, last year. This was recorded in August 2017. It was a Patreon exclusive episode. What was that? The the address for Patreon? It's patreon.com forward slash FAS podcast. If you want access to a set of exclusive podcasts and extended episodes. Uh, but we're on holiday at the moment. So this is just a wee filler episode till Obdi's back. So, aye. Other than that, this will be known as episode 183 of the Films and Swearing movie podcast. So, tune in next week when me and Magic Mike return for episode 184. Fuck off and tune in next week. (sighs) Hello fuckers, what's going on? Stuart Sutherland here. You're listening to Films and Swearing. This is obviously the Foul Mouth Movie Podcast. I record straight out of Five Scotland. Tonight, joining me, we have our Swedish import, Kenny B. Hey, folks, don't worry. I'm Swedish. No need for concern. I'm just, it's just me. It's just a Swede. <laughs> obviously, well known from Podcast on Fire, the network, the, the whole shebang, what's Korean cinema, and more. Uh, tonight we have joined together to discuss the 2017 adaption of Death Note. Yeah, this hasn't um, f- flown under fans' radars, oh, I gather. <laughs> it's no. uh, been um, been up uh, up for healthy debate, hopefully, mostly. You know there's going to be a rational debate, of course, but I hope there's been healthy debate. Uh, amidst uh, folks, um, and and for and full disclosure, I'm, I'm 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 the zero percenter of uh, of this podcast. I knew nothing of it. So, Death Note Netflix was uh, my first experience of it all, which is interesting because mm-hmm. you that that is a blessing sometimes, isn't it? I'm sure in your coverage, you encounter movies that are first time watches and you you really don't know yes. anything of it, and and and. It should stay that way. Sometimes you just mm-hmm. go in, watch it, and judge it uh, on its own merits and stuff like that. And uh, you know, it's a uh, you 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 don't get to be innocent with movies that much nowadays because you you sort of know something about uh, most things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's it. Even tomorrow, like we have a, a rare opportunity where me and my wife could actually go out for an evening. So we're gonna go see the the new adaption of it like ah oh, sweet well 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 i like the the stephen king thing with mm-hmm. the creepy clown i know bugger all about this not read the book never dared watch the original tv movie because just seeing the sight of tim curry between like bath towels hanging on a drying green was enough for me as a child that yeah was it. it's you know what's great about it, I, I, I'm not going to talk of the movie quality. Uh, and um, two things are great here. The remake conversation is uh, redundant because that was a TV movie. And believe me, the book is so gruesome that they couldn't put 
half the stuff on TV. Mm -hmm. So the movie has the opportunity to be more straight from the book. And I gather that they're doing two movies. Um, I think to really so. to, to really honor the time periods that the book is uh, set in fifties uh, uh, and eighties, respectively, in the book. But uh, the movie is eighties and presumably modern day. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's uh, uh, the book. Christ, uh, the the size of that paperback. We've got a copy of it in the library, and it's <laughs> enough to make uh, George R R Martin blush. <laughs> you know how long the audio book is. Because I, I took in the audiobook. You know how long that is? Oh, uh, 45 hours. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Read by uh, Stephen Weber, uh, an actor you don't sort of associate with associate with horror, but he does mm -hmm. a bang-up job doing Pennywise and all the other characters, of course. So um, so, so if you're interested, listeners, you do it uh, after you've seen uh, both of the movies, so whenever the second one is coming out. Mm -hmm. I, think, uh, I really think there are two movies, but, two movies, but uh, regardless, do check out the audiobook. It's quite, um, it's quite a fun uh, listen, a long yeah. listen, but a fun one. Mm -hmm. I know, definitely, because I reckon what I'm going to expect, but I imagine I'm going to get freaked out. Oh, and hey, Sweden represent. Pennywise is played by one of the Skarsgård kids. I have no idea which one. I think it's <laughs> Bill. It's right. not uh, Alexander. I don't think it's Gustav. Mm -hmm. So I think it's Bill Skarsgård, who actually was in a Netflix series. The the vampire one that I'm blanking on. What's the name of the town? Something, something. Uh, uh, what, <laughs> like one of 100 Netflix series. Uh, ones that came out this week? <laughs> Or the 12 yeah, that came it, out last it's week. It's like uh, two years old or whatever. But, um, <laughs> oh, well. He's a good actor. He's a good actor. And he's unrecognizable behind the makeup. So you have no idea it's him, actually. Cool, cool. Anyway, today, obviously, you can expect us to spoil Death Note. So what you can hear now through the magic of post-production, there is music playing. Uh, us at Films and Swear and Can I Be Arse Avoiding Spoilers. So if you're a sensitive bugger and you've not seen today's film, turn off the podcast. Hop on to Netflix, uh, cash in, I think, 90 minutes, and then come back and join us as we get balls deep in spoiler territory. It's um, nice that uh, it's a global rollout. Some of the Netflix movies don't have a global rollout. Um, hmm. I remember when Skip Trace came out, which w was picked up by Netflix. Yes. I assumed it was a global rollout, but uh-uh. Uh, maybe UK, certainly not Sweden, de definitely America. So you never know about these things. But 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 I guess the ones that they really pr really produce themselves, mm -hmm. they're they're going to be available uh, all over the joint. Aye, because that's it. the very opening credits of this film was a like a next a Netflix film, and then the follow up was like Netflix production. So it's like double yeah. credits to them, like a double pat on the back from the get go. Because like, we're kind of insecure. Right, like, we make movies now. <laughs> so, uh, Death Note is from director Alex Wingard. He... Because Adam, isn't it? Adam Wingard. Ah, oh, I've got Alex. I wonder where I got that from. Uh, that could just be me uh, just typing it rather than copy and pasting. But... Uh, yeah, I've got uh, IMDb up, so I'm, I'm, I'm half trusting IMDb. Sorry, yes. Stu, but I am. No, you're fine. Uh, he is a director with 21 credits to his name. Before doing Death Note, he's done several, uh, I guess, horror-style films. Definitely, that seems to be the route he's taken. 
2011 was You're Next. Mm-hmm. Uh, 2012, you done a segment in the VHS movie. Yeah, God knows which one. They're, they're all... They, they never... I saw the first two. I think they made a mm-hmm. third one. I think uh, so. They, they never, never identified them as such on screen because I know one of the guys who did the original Blair Witch Project w- directed one of them, but they, they never made a noise on the screen like, now, da-da-da-da, directed by Adam Wingard. Yes, so I. I, don't, I don't know, but the, the, w- one or two were enjoyable enough, uh, hit mm. and miss, uh, because of the short, um, short movie format. Exactly. Uh, his credit is supposedly for tape 56 and at this time i can't remember what that was we did cover that film on the show last year yeah but as you said there were several short films yeah uh, <laughs> well well well. good luck uh, singling out uh, every director in uh, the other short movie compilation he was part of because uh, oh, wasn't yes. he part of uh, the abc's of death exactly. either one or, one or two they credit him for the first one anyway he is credited for the segment q Right. Q is for quack. Oh, yeah. All right. So you, you know what? I, I don't think I made it that far. <laughs> to be honest, I watched like A to M and just never turned it on again. It was it wasn't bad, but it was one of those movies that, obviously, being shorts and have having no thread, as far as I remember. Mm-hmm. Then then you can you you can't stop at M or N or um, or L if you will to make it topical. <laughs> <laughs> I of course you return for VHS two for another one. Then in two thousand fourteen, he seemed of head off with what I think now has been proclaimed as an almost cult classic, The Guest. I haven't heard of it, actually. Yeah, it is. I don't think, as far as I know, there's no any famous people in it. But it seems to be getting a proper John Wick drive, kind of... That's the vibe I'm getting for a person that hasn't seen it either. But it seems to be getting that sort of uh, reaction online. Like people, yeah. oh, if you love John Wick, you're gonna fucking love Guest or the huh. Guest. Well, the the poster on IMDb looks uh, like a model photo shoot. It says nothing about the movie. Ah, it's like a guy uh, with a gun and a purple backdrop. No, I'd imagine. Well, not really. Yeah, well, he, uh, well, the gun is cropped out, but he has his backpack on. Hmm. Right on. Boners galore. He's what got the a fuck's backpack. In the backpack? Mm-hmm. Uh, and last year he directed uh, Blair Witch, which I'm not which I sure. I wanted to see because I've heard it was more of a direct um, sequel to the first one okay. and trying to uh, uh, cover some threads that were introduced in that one. But uh, it's one of those things that I've, I've never pursued it. I know it's on streaming, so I obviously could just disconnect yes. the mic and and watch it now if I like. Uh, mm-hmm. So it's all good. And after Death Note, he do ha he do has um he does <laughs> have two credits. One which hasn't got a year on it yet, which might be a good thing. Um, I saw the devil. Oh, so <laughs> well, we, we it it you know speaking of what's Korean cinema, the 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 remake frenzy isn't so much a frenzy that produces movies but it's um pick up frenzy uh, pick up the option to remake things so i i'm willing to bet that it's that entry Mm -hmm. is based on uh but but there might be cost attached to it so i'm just going out on a limb here but i'm still thinking that entry is based on some snippets of this and this company is considering 
remaking this and this. Um, yes. Because it really happens. Korea, they target Korea like a motherfucker. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then it rarely happens and it doesn't turn out that well when it does happen. Uh, you know, ranging from my sassy girl, old boy and so forth. Yeah, that's it. I think they do keep an eye on a lot of Korean property and think, hmm, can what make this film better? White people. Well, what, what, you know, <laughs> we'll not touch. We'll not touch the hot button topic. We won't <laughs> even. <laughs> we'll just stir away for that one with a uh, Adam's twenty uh, twenty project. Now this is a big one. This is. I hope he's ready for this because I'm looking forward to it. Kong versus Godzilla. Oh, he's been tapped for 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 the third, I suppose. Yes, because uh, I think it is a. Uh, second Godzilla film in the next couple of years and then followed up by the Versus movie. Mm. Not pseudos either because th- that 2014 Godzilla just didn't appeal to me as such. Mm-hmm. Skull Island, maybe, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, some, some people really tended to like that and uh, but it's, I don't know, it's a l- l- lack of interest to pursue it like immediately. That's yeah. sort of I'm coming from. I know you are more of a cinema goer, and you you watch these mm-hmm. things, uh, and you like uh, certain of these things. Like, so did like did you see Skull Island in yes the cinema? Uh, no, I didn't manage that one in the cinema, but I've I have watched it since its uh, home release, mm-hmm. and it's, it was a lot better than I, I imagined. Which <laughs> I think I only went in the expectation of expecting more Peter Jackson. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, something yeah, different. Very pleased. Yeah. I I I I've said the title a couple of times, and I almost every time say Kong Island instead <laughs> because it's, it's, it's obviously. Mm-hmm. Well, he he's moving up. He's moving up, seemingly. Yeah, you know, I, I, from found footage to uh, well, Death Note now, and but uh, monsters, uh, yeah. monsters, and a possible Korean remake. I hope he's doing well because if that was me, I would be stressing the fuck out. Like, I was I was doing found footage last year. Now, how how the fuck am I gonna film this? If you thought the Death Note controversy or something, like how judged he's going to be making a monster movie with iconic monsters. You know? Yeah. I... Strap in, young lad. I don't think he's young, but strap in, <laughs> nonetheless. Okay, the cast of Death Note consists of uh, Nat Wolf as Light Turner, Lakeith Stanfield as L, Margaret Qualey as Mia Sutton, Shay Wiggum as James Turner, William Defoe as the voice of Ryuk, uh, Paul Nakauchi as Watari. So, Ken, I have a copy of the plot here. Would you like me to read that out? Uh, sure. Remind me what it was about. I merely watched it a couple of a couple of days ago. Mm-hmm. Light Turner, a bright student, stumbles across a mystical notebook that has the power to kill anyone, uh, to kill to kill any person whose name he writes in it. Light decides to launch a secret crusade to rid the streets of crime. And as soon the student-turned-vigilante finds himself pursued by a famous detective known only by the alias L. That was, like, confusing to me because I was reminded of the fact that, oh, yeah, so some characters are called just one letter, and I thought that would be Light. That would be L, but then there mm-hmm. was another L, and I sort of just stopped analyzing things and just watched what I was watching. Uh, yeah. So, 
And so, yeah, because I, I like I like I had no uh, neither time or um, interest in uh, watching uh, the first live action Japanese movie. Um, mm-hmm. Not sure I'm too keen on doing so based on this one. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> um, well, that's it. We've, we've mentioned it already. Your history with the franchise is minimal. It's zero. Yes. It's not minimal. It's nothing. <laughs> <laughs> you're you're one movie in now. You're like one rung yeah, well, up the well, ladder. Fair enough. But but I remember like you and I have a history being podcasters on the same show for a couple of years. The, the very first podcast you did, Podcast mm-hmm. on Fire One, you talked of Death Note. I actually still distinctly mem- remember that. Don't know oh, why. Shit. Mm-hmm. And correct me if I'm wrong if you remember the plotting of it, but I guess I, I, I remember you talking of that there was a brother and sister character, possibly, and you were talking of you thought that was unrealistic as made, that they were too chummy or something, uh, but maybe I'm just mixing up the several movies you talked of during mm-hmm. that episode. One was Death Note, but obviously the brother-sister thing isn't in the US version of Death Note, so, so again, I might be talking out of my yeah. butt. No, no, I am... Um... To be honest, I don't remember much of the very first uh, untitled Asian movie podcast. I do remember covering, I think, oh, what was the mockumentary with the Daniel Wu pop bands? Heavenly Kings. Something along those lines, anyway. I do remember speaking of that one, but as you mentioned, Death Note, uh, I do vaguely remember the family uh, unit, because that was, you'd had your, your main character, like, a sister, and a mother and a father. Right. So that family dynamic already is but, completely different in comparison yeah, totally. to this one. Um, I mean, I mean, did, did, just to state that, did, did you like Death Note? Did you pursue sequel, I, anime, I comic books and so. stuff? Um, I attempted to watch the anime. And like most anime, I, f- I kind of lose interest after three or four episodes. Um, oh, it was, oh, it was episodes, not a movie. No, no, I was definitely, it was like one of those, uh, the, the television series they do where it's half a dozen episodes. I can, I, I don't know how, the structure of how anime works, but... Well, sometimes it runs for hundreds of episodes and yes. uh, for, for decades, my friend. Mm-hmm. So there's that. I did start reading the books because they were available through the libraries until there's like, maybe read the first two and then there was never a copy of the third, but copies of the rest. Mm-hmm. So... That came to a standstill, but I do remember buying both the live-action films, uh, part one and part two, all the way back in, like, I think, 2002. This shit's, like, 15 years old. Yeah, I have actually uh, didn't remember the initial date. I, actually, the only thing I researched, just because I, I put it up on IMDb, and my eyes caught the name of the director of the... Um, Japanese ones, uh, uh, Shusuke Kaneko, which I remember as the director who rebooted the Gamera movies in the 90s, splendidly so. Uh, Gamera, Guardian of the Universe, Gamera, Attack of Legion, and then Gamera 3, something, something Iris. Mm. And he's done one or two Godzilla movies subsequently, but that was so wonderful for for Gamera, because those movies, when they came out, they, they... I always got the impression they came out of nowhere and they were better than what Toho was doing with Godzilla. Right. And they really are, because G- Gamera turned into really cheesy children's movies uh, in uh, as the 60s and 70s rolled on. But mm. he was sort of a 
return to a hardcore Gamera, despite it being a flying space turtle. <laughs> still oh, awesome. So, so I mean, he, he he's uh, he's still a working director, and uh, certainly Devnot must have been successful enough to manage to keep his profile alive and all of that. So, um, yeah, aye, so. definitely. Uh, so out of them, I haven't watched the third. Like there was a a spin-off movie, but I think it was also used as like a conclusion to the Death right. films where it was a spin-off movie just based on L. Mm. Where he was the sole lead, so I can't quite remember what happens to Light by the second film, but um let's let's cut to the chase. Let's talk about this one. Ken, what did you think of Death Note? Well it's not particularly memorable. Um, again, I'm basing this on the zero percent, as I said, knowing nothing of uh, how the Japanese movies were structured and what they contained. But I certainly know a little bit of the debate, the discussion going on uh, about the movie, and uh, I'm sure we'll touch on that. But really, it's it it it's you can watch it, but certainly it it's not memorable. It actually does a fair few things quite wrong which i'm sure i'll get to there, there's um this they're trying to land uh moods in and they, they don't land very well I, I guess if i keep it short there's mm. a lot of um attempts that don't um that don't work so uh that's the long and short way not very memorable but certainly nothing to to yell at uh mm. from my perspective yeah um for me I have to say, it's not a terrible film. Possibly, I felt maybe I went in with an ultra low expectation just due to like all the fucking butthurt it was getting online. Like, For sure. dragged over the coals, people were crying at poop, everything. Um, but now, uh, there is things I didn't like about it. I felt the film did have a wee bit of an identity crisis. Mm-hmm. To me, yeah, that's a good word for it. I think I was searching for that, but you're right. It does look like a film that is definitely aimed at young adults. Uh, definitely a proper teenage audience. Until the and, bombs start to drop. Aye, yes. Um, it is. It's almost it's like a big bag of sweets for goths. Like, I could imagine them eating this film up. Like... <laughs> This the fucking characters are sour. There's a death god. They've got a fucking notebook that kills people. Like, there's cult figures. People are praising these gods. Like, oh, it's goth candy. Um, <laughs> but I, I could easily imagine like the anime. Wait, wait, but, but, but by the way, let's get philosophical. Would that be candy that would make goths happy or? Extra sad. I have to be would like, they have like a sugar high that would make them even more depressed? <laughs> ah, that's it. Because <laughs> there's always that joke that you kind of get a happy goth. Um, so right. maybe they'd be bitter sweets. That's true. Salty as hell. Ah, so you just get it would be like Smarties, but they're all black and grey. <laughs> you just see it and like aye. But 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 I don't know how, what what you felt like. But it seems. I mean. Any movie that starts to set itself up, it it should open a little bit mysteriously. But it really seemed to me uh, that it was random, but in a super hurried way. Mm -hmm. Because two minutes in, uh, stormy weather, and then boom, the book drops. Okay, fine, it's mystery time. Let's fill it in sort of 
a little bit casually, but I don't think Alan Wingard is trying to, uh, he really seems to not rush the movie because it is a fairly long movie, but mm-hmm. he, I, I didn't feel like there was a sort of dread set up. Uh, um, it all, also all, to me, it also felt like episode 18 out of a 24 episode TV run. So right, yeah. therefore, they're just going to set it up really quick because we all talked of this during episode one anyway. Where were you? Mm-hmm. Um, and I and I thought that was. I mean, I got it, yeah. but I f- thought that n- negated all sense of um, this scenario being um, horrific. Um, and, and and I don't know if he was aiming to be horrific, but I just thought he was um, he was in a hurry, and I didn't quite think that was a choice for me personally. Yeah, I I kind of got the impression that we were fed. Uh, like this could easily been a, a two part movie, but mm-hmm. what I thought we were given was uh, three quarters of two films in one. Yeah, like yeah. they just want to cram it in and get over and done with. Whereas if they maybe took their time and split up a little and just sure with that kind of ending we were left with, I'd be like, yeah. oh, I can't wait to see the next one. But it's like, ah, I think that's that's us. <laughs> yeah, I guess yeah. he's moving on anyway. Uh, but 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 I don't know. It's it, it it felt strange, and and also it also felt strange. But this is due to Netflix and our modern times. That obviously Netflix isn't tied to a rating uh, rating system. They don't have to present their movies and get them approved. Mm-hmm. So uh, because it looks like a PG thirteen movie, I thought it was going to be in feel a PG thirteen movie, and then they start swearing like sailors for a couple of uh, scenes mm-hmm. and obviously gore comes in later too ah, it, uh, suddenly it, turns it, it really felt weird in a good way yeah exactly oh i was thinking of final destination uh, especially the two uh, second one a way better movie uh, but, but 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 it felt like so almost wonderfully weird that okay we're on netflix they have freedom to make it feel like a high school movie um, but we're gonna be super gruesome and say fuck mm-hmm. <laughs> because we can. Uh, I don't know. It, it it isn't usual because we're still getting used to the fact that uh, movies are gonna gonna be produced for platforms like this. So we're we're getting used to that feeling. Uh, I think. Yeah, and I mean that's it. It could get to a point where, obviously, with the 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 amount of negativity it's received online, Netflix might just want to sort of leave it. And just like let it let it have its its moment, and then go into their next series. But they have the flexibility to say, right, maybe we'll just do like a six part like mini series, just to like if they wanted to tie things up because they've they've proclaimed things like this with series. I think Sense Eight is the one that came to mind that they've just cancelled that show, say two seasons in, but. Rather is that than... the Wachowski uh, yes. by now sisters one? Because I, I I read this. I mean, it was a headline. Was it correct if you noticed that a essentially an online pornographic site is picking up Sense8 to uh, to and therefore it's going to be hosted on their site so they can do their conclusion? I've I read something. I, I mean, I, I don't think it was like you know, red tube or Pornhub or anything, but it was yeah. some, some high profile. We're going to pick it up because the, the show is by design, I think, yeah, sexual to some degree. Right. Uh, I've n- never heard that myself, but yeah. I was under the impression that Netflix agreed to do a, like a, say like a two hour conclusion. Right. Just sort of to tie yeah. up all the loose ends. 
I think they even did a Christmas special. <laughs> you know, uh, just well, because. Well, yeah, they, they they are throwing their money around, and maybe sometimes. I, I mean, the, the problem there for Netflix also is that uh, they throw so much money into series and movies, especially series, that they not all series get a, a longer shelf life. Uh, mm-hmm. Some series just get get the boot if the streaming numbers, I suppose, aren't, aren't what they should. And I think uh, we, we're reaching an oversaturation in terms of ideas. I mean, and, and also, and I'm not putting down comedians, but Lucky said there are a lot of com- comedy specials on oh, Netflix. Oh, that's <laughs> too much, man. I want to find different so movies. Easy to produce for them. Of, like, of course, of course. Aye. You know, I, I wanted to ask uh, something because uh, one of the red flags in the early goings, in mm-hmm. terms of, I don't think this is going where I personally feel horror should go. I, I don't think this is a horror for me. The detention clause uh, terror scene where. Uh, light uh, meets uh, Ryuk for the first mm-hmm. time and everything goes haywire. I thought that was it's supposed to be a terror scene and he's gonna he's supposed to meet this horrific creature mm-hmm. and it's it's made in a rather tame way and his fear and his scream is oh. a, a rather comical and after yes. a while and maybe this stems from how Death Note Japan was made but after a while Light and Rio, they're pretty much buddies. Mm-hmm. And I didn't understand that dynamic, why that should be effective. I thought Rio was supposed to be this uh, incredibly violent, evil, and manipulative character, but he's sort of, he's a guy that hangs around and uh, he looks like a hedgehog. And oh, all yeah. the fright went out of the room immediately mm-hmm. after I got, uh, after I felt I had a problem with the introduction of such a key thing like Rio, if they get the introduction wrong, man. Yeah. Okay. Aye. Um, it did feel like, to be honest, I was actually waiting for sort of like Light to wake up in detention and bang his head off the desk and then maybe just subtly show the apple he once had was now eaten. Mm-hmm. Just kind of like, wait, was I dreaming? What, is it, what the fuck happened? Because by the time, like... I'm not sure what the hell, if that teacher just went out to quickly smoke a fag, comes back and the whole classroom's been turned upside down, the shelves are knocked over, there's paper everywhere. <laughs> and like there's just one kid in the middle and a fucking eating apple going, um, I, 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 I saw something. Like, it was a wee bit over OTT. Yeah, and, and I, I think he's aiming for we're gonna have fun but i thought that didn't land well either and i was confused in in the long run in terms of what he was trying to do um you know ultimately i think it's a little bit of both mm-hmm. and, and and again i don't know if ryuk and his introduction into japanese movies is you know due on type scary or anything you know mm-hmm. maybe they never aimed for that i don't know but I thought based on the image of that monster on the Netflix uh, thumbnail thingy. Yes. Oh boy, that looks crap your pants, Gary. And mm. it turns out it's so like, hey, so I'm real. Right. <laughs> uh, but um, I guess uh, I guess the only thing I sort of, uh, when my ears perked up was when they started to um, reveal their hand in terms of um, gore. Mm-hmm. Aye, because that bully meets his demise quite viciously. 
Like the one that catches the, the window cleaner's ladder. Yeah, and it was actually not very obviously computer-generated, Gore. They, they might have done a, a nice-looking puppet uh, for that decapitation. It was so quick-cut, but in a good way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he also gets his, essentially, his face gets torn apart as well. And I thought, like, well, John, this is like Peter Jackson. Watch out, you know, Peter Jackson brain dead. Yeah. The brain dead face. Watch out. Here's a, and they don't really do much of this um, throughout the movie. So Aye. I was sort of delighted for a few minutes that, oh, it's going to be a splatter movie. This is all, it's, oh, it's not. Oh, okay. <laughs> Part well, of me feels... That. Are we? Is this us getting glimpses of like what the directors used to like seeing his past catalogue of films, like these horror titles? Maybe like like maybe this is the sort of stuff he likes to dabble in, but being at the mercy of Netflix, like this is sort of like you, what the thing you get now with like uh, Marvel, and when they choose creative directors to handle their projects, and Edgar Wright being an example one that had to step away from his Marvel movie just because they cra- clashed on uh, creativity. Which one was that? Uh, Edgar Wright was directing Ant-Man originally and he had to step out because his vision wasn't matching Marvel's vision. Oh, I see, I see. Okay. So, well, well, he's um, he's, he's got a good run now, um, uh, on a good run with Baby Driver, it seems like. so. Exactly. Uh, so. so, I wonder, I, I may be overthinking it, but I wonder how much a say uh, Netflix had in this movie because these random acts of violence is great little touches, but I feel that's maybe more of a director's touch. How, how much does it track back to the Japanese one? Do you remember it being gruesome at all? Or um, did it go for a spooky it was, vibe? It was a lot more fucking heart attacks or walking in front of traffic, but shot from far a distance. Right. So I remember it being a lot more tame. Yeah, because I, I I don't know, it, it gave off a spooky vibe or if you just look at posters and stuff. I mean, that might not represent the movie well at all, but obviously it, it's just, it's it black and grey. Goth candy, Ken. Goth candy. Yes, goth candy, that's it. Mark um, into his audience. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm learning new terms. I'm going to go on Urban Dictionary and uh, and, uh, and cram uh, after this, uh, after this uh, <laughs> show. But, uh, you know, they, they do two or three sort of fairly gruesome deaths yes. and then they then they abandon that and actually the second one is even, isn't even that well conveyed the death of the mobster i was totally confused in terms of what Aye. happened to him did he choke on something or because he was uh, bumped in the back by the waiter who slipped on the glass and and i thought that that wasn't well conveyed at all i had no idea how he died i because from one angle i thought did, did was he holding a bone did he just get a bone in his neck and it wasn't until light's father was explaining it to him where, to the point where they had to actually clarify it themselves, just saying they yeah. fucking jammed a snake, a steak knife into his neck. Mm. I hope it wasn't if uh, he jams a snake into his neck as he typed. Oh, well, you're being creative, son. <laughs> let's, Aye, right, you let's watch the tape. In the background going, Real, where, the, where are we going to find a fucking snake now to do this? Mm-hmm. He's going on to the phone to the fucking prop manager gods. So, right, we need a snake in a fucking steakhouse pronto. You, you know, there's a little problem in terms of uh, relating to these characters as well, because him, Light, and his girlfriend, eventual girlfriend, they, 
Aye. they essentially get off on having these powers. Yeah, and they, All of this is a good idea, by the way. The scenario mm. is actually a brilliant idea. You, you can actually explore a lot of things in the movie attempts to, with uh, them being, you know, essentially deaf gods or see themselves as deaf gods. Mm-hmm. That is a great idea. But there, there, there's another example here of, I, I couldn't really connect to them as, not sympathetic and I couldn't connect to them as sympathetic and then I'm left in the middle and then then it all becomes neutral and neutral is not good enough mm-hmm. it was it's definitely I've noted that as one of the real interesting pieces in this film um, because it is, it's, it's a pair of millennials like when you see her she's this lassie that couldn't give a fuck about anything she mm. looked bored during a cheerleading practice she's walking about smoking a fag trying to look cool and it was just like one of these things like, oh, is this it? Really? I'm getting too old to watch these films. This is annoying. But <laughs> Welcome, Stuart, to, <laughs> to the 30s or whatever. <laughs> but I, like the montage of like their romance flourishing as well as their fucking, their killing sprees, it, to me, it kind of echoed uh, Natural Born Killers in a way. And, oh god, it's been ages since I saw that movie. This was, it was more of like an audiovisual noise that movie. I don't remember much mm-hmm. from uh, MBK. But hell, the fact that they were almost getting off on this violence, I would even want to take it back to like Shades of Bonnie and Clyde almost. Mm-hmm. For and, sure. But like that was it. It's like we've got something interesting here, and as their their relationship kind of goes on it does get more interesting especially when she fucking turns on him like oh yeah yeah i mean that was pretty fucking clever it's interesting there's plenty of interesting psychology here and you you don't need to go more in depth than what you just described for for it to be effective but but there there is that um for, for me the problem was that because adam doesn't find the tone for me and then I'm on the ride or, uh, because I was confused about what tone is trying to convey. I wasn't that interested in in the turn, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, maybe if they pushed the dark aspects a little bit more, but it, it leans a little bit, also a little bit too much towards quirky. Like There's a soundtrack choice that is so yes, like so hipster, yes. hipster style. Like, oh my God, at least use the original song. Uh, where the Krista Berg song, Lady in Red, but sung by someone else is used mm-hmm. here. And I thought that was just like, just because you know the song and you like it, doesn't mean you should put it in and uh, create noise that way. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's a, you know what I mean? Like, like, like this, the, the, the movie's like up in the air and I don't know what it's trying to attempt and w- w- where it's going to land. And uh, where it did land was in a basic sort of um, psych, uh, deep dive into psychology, but not really enough for my taste where I cared of, uh, oh my, oh my God. She she's gonna turn on him and she's gonna have the power. Like no no, I, I wasn't in that place. Um, yeah. to, to be honest, but but the idea again is brilliant. So because it goes global, and and I guess the Death Note Japan went global as well. With um, uh, and I guess Kira is an echo from the uh, Japanese movie. Definitely as well. is. I, yeah. um, they don't go into. They obviously light talks about the the other translations of it. 
uh, where it translates back to his own name, Light, in, I don't know if, it, for example, maybe in Greek or something, but in mm-hmm. Japanese, it's it's for killer. But in the Japanese originals, it is just purely just because killer is the the phrase for death. Mm-hmm. So they both take up like the same moniker and it gets the same sort of cult following. Uh, yeah. The Japanese one kind of makes it more like a dark web, uh, like chat rooms buzzing around this person rather than people f- fucking spray painting churches. And... Mm-hmm. and That was really odd, by the way, that they, uh, in the light, they are checking out these websites in school. <laughs> you know, they're, they're on the dark mm-hmm. web on the school computer and it's like checking out who to kill next and stuff. Like, Aye. come on, be a little bit more incognito. Aye. Really, all you cunts <laughs> have phones by now. Exactly. And they're talking loud too. They're, they're not like, should we kill? No, they're, they're just chit-chatting away. Like, they're, they're, this is no big deal, which I, I'm sure speaks to a little bit of their cold nature. But I, it's another element where, come on, make it slightly more logical for heaven's mm-hmm. sake. And, uh, and, and, and they have such... I know I'm barking at the movie now. I, I, <laughs> I said you shouldn't, but they're, they're all like contrivances like uh, they inject quick pieces of dialogue like oh this is bigger than us mm-hmm. so they're, they're making it profound and that's a good idea again but it it it's merely said here they merely place the dialogue there that this is bigger than us mm-hmm. and that, that 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 doesn't really it, it goes in one ear and out the other for me that it's not so certainly poignant despite all of this being excellent ideas all around actually i actually think the scenario is quite terrifying because it can go anywhere and it can go so far and they go obviously they go by the way they go very they go to great lengths to kill a lot of people and it all takes place um like in a couple of days it seems like because Mm -hmm. it moves so fast you'd think they'd spend years on this but Ah. no it seems like uh over the weekend they killed about a thousand people (laughs) i it definitely has that feeling where not a lot of times passed, but it does take an interesting turn when it finally captures the attention of the eccentric detective. Yeah, when L finally shows up, and this is how did you think that eccentric nature worked? Because I, I had a problem with that. I didn't understand his sort of yeah. compulsive snack eating and why he why he's uh, spreads all the snacks on the floor and shit. Ah, uh, sort of like a Sherlock Holmes man child's. Um, yes. <laughs> but fuck I he does it looks like it is everything of the Japanese character just stripped and reapplied in here and mm-hmm. when watching the Japanese one it's strange maybe we were more forgiven of the weird eccentric nature of L just because it was, it was Japanese and they, they can be a little bit over the top with their characters especially when it's based on like anime and manga but just to see the same thing uh, translated to this American film, where he's sitting the same way. Can he sit in a chair? Right. He can he? He has to sit on tables or legs crossed. Uh, can't yeah, sleep. Eat sweets. And also, he hits like investigations, and I because they don't explain that very well. I had no idea why he could be front and center and address the media and shit like that. It's a kid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> What's he doing here? So he is not. I mean, I was playing catch up anyway, and when I underst- when they start to explain 
Elle's uh, backstory that he was brought up in this orphanage and oh, trained to be world class. And I was like, what the hell is this? This sounds stupid. We and because the movie hasn't set itself up as like we're super quirky, man. We're super mm. quirky. They're trained to be super investigators. And I thought, where, where did that come from? And I think you're right. Uh, if this is a direct lift from Death Note Japan, they for for their cinema and their audience tastes and their filmmaking sensibilities, uh, if they did something akin to what they do with L here, maybe no one would bat an eyelid because it is part of the mood. Mm-hmm. But uh, I, I I just thought it was um, pretty pretty odd to be honest. And yeah. Aye. But I did like, he's actually kind of a likeable character. The dude portraying him, I think, did quite well. Mm -hmm. And I do love just the frustration that it causes uh, between Light and L. The fact that this boy has his face covered at all times. And the fact that he goes by a false name. And it it just goes right over all the rules that you get from Death Note. And I even like how they mention themselves that there's far too many fucking rules in this book. Yeah, to the point where we're not going to explain them to you. Let's just believe there's a lot of rules and when one of them happens, we'll explain it as it happens. Yeah. yeah it's it's sort of classic, um, you know, man-devil interplay, if you will, that you man sometimes thinks they can outwit the devil easily. But obviously Rio has, he has little to no worries. In this mm-hmm. movie, he he just sits back and um, and watches watches the show because he knows there's a thousand rules or or however, and they're they're, they're not gonna outwit me at any point. He's never panicked, Ryuk. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And speaking of Ryuk, what did you think of William Defoe uh, providing his voice for it? Well, I didn't know it was it was him. Uh, I recognized the voice, but I it was merely um, when the credits started to roll mm-hmm. that. Yeah, that is Willem. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, he's a solid actor, and uh, he he does well for uh, for himself. Uh, it's uh, Ryuk isn't uh, you know terribly funny or scary as I've stated before, but uh, Willem certainly he 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 does what he's supposed to do. He does what he's hired to do, uh, and isn't necessarily phoning it in. It, it's good enough, but uh, yeah. it's not um, earth shattering like uh, elevation. Speaking of it. What, mm-hmm. what Tim Curry did, no one really expected, because the, the, um, he did elevate things with, with uh, Pennywise. And, but but we, he's fine, Willem. I mean, he, he's uh, never truly bad, um, mm-hmm. opinion. just solid all around. And, and a versatile actor, because you, you can see him in, in Strange, Graphic, uh, Lost One Trier movies, and David mm-hmm. Lynch movies, and then in Spider-Man and things like that. Mm-hmm. So he so all over the place and likable and stuff. So aye. Um. Now for the about, I'm trying did, to think. Did you recognize his voice, by the way? That that it was him, or, or did you know? As I, I did know. I think just through through what you see on social media when it they were talking about uh, the remake of Death Note, that seemed to be a big bit of casting news was the fact that we've like we've got a big one, we've got a name to attach to this project. You might. He's not also know. white. <laughs> You might not know any other cunt in this movie, but we've got we've got the guy, the Green Goblin. <laughs> we got him. Please like us. <laughs> so I'm not sure if that was just like as a, a big marketing point. Is it right? We've got a name. We've got a dude with a great voice. Let's hope it works in our favor. Yeah, 
Oh, all right, though. I mean, um, what did you think in terms of uh, that was? It was, it was fine, but it it could have been anyone, but it was nice to kind of see him do it. And you're just thinking, will he give it his all? Or is this just going to be like, right, and spend half an hour on the phone repeating these lines of dialogue? And that's me. Easy payday. But Bet when you get to see... For one or two days in the studio, because he... There's not a whole lot of talky talky scenes with yes. him. He's yeah. I feel he equates to maybe no more than ten, fifteen percent of the film. Yeah. He's he's almost like a reminder, like a reminder on their phone just pops up every once in a while just to kind of remind that he's the guy making this happen. And he didn't do the um the motion capture either, because uh, there's a separate credit for uh, the one who played Rio. Yes, aye. And that's what confused me because I felt like we were slightly misled uh, by the outtakes at the end of the film. Did you notice those during the, the end credits? I did. I thought that was Willem with all the dots on his face. Exactly. Uh, and, and, it, uh, and it turns out now that I'm reading IMDb that uh, there's a, so someone else is playing a Rio, uh, presumably someone who who is comfortable performing like this. Jason Lyles? Uh, yes, so, uh, aye. Yeah. So, so not, and, not Andy Serkis or the guy, or, or the guy that's in those uh, Guillermo del Toro movies. Uh. I I don't want to feel like it, it just shows you a picture of him in the gear saying, oh, look, he does all his own stunts. And <laughs> then the poor guy doing all the fucking work doesn't get a proper credit. Yeah. But um, let's let's get to the end. Let's talk about how this one finishes. Well, it's kind of strange. I thought it was done by the the 80-minute mark Mm. because we have our climax at that point. And then there's another 20 minutes, which um, structurally is always tricky to to inflict on an audience. Um, You know, Pete Jackson has come up in this podcast. Mm -hmm. (laughs) The 10 endings of Lord of the Rings. Come on, (laughs) end, end. It's, It's honestly, when they get to the prom... And they have this this disagreement and they talk about, right, we need to meet, bring the book. And he texts her to meet at the Ferris wheel. Okay, I imagine the Ferris wheel would maybe be on, like, the track and field outside. Not on the other fucking side of Seattle. (laughs) Why would you text, meet me on the other side of town, I'm going to spend the next ten minutes running there. Like, (laughs) meet me in the car park. Meet me at the bus stop. Don't. Aye, let's go to the other fucking side of the city. Why? Just so I could be chased. Yeah, uh, I didn't register that, but you're absolutely spot on. It seems overly complicated. Um, uh, I guess he uses that time to write down uh, write down the, the extra stuff in the book. Yes, aye, to write a fucking short story to plan the next two or three days of his life. Yeah. Aye. Uh, it's fairly easy to keep up with. I give I give Adam Wingard props for that. And and the fact of the matter is, despite me spewing bile at this movie, it is actually paced quite well. It's over fairly quickly. Mm-hmm. It's just, by the time we reach that eighty minute mark, when it seems like it's over, we're still out of the movie fairly quickly because there's also quite a long ending credits crawl uh, so you know by all intents and purposes it's sort of a 90 minute movie uh, uh, when mm-hmm. all is said and done so it it, it it 
flies by, it never like stops as such and bores or anything. It's just yeah. uh, the choices are a bit confusing. Mm-hmm. I did like his little intricate plan after like all was said and done with the Ferris wheel, which I also thought was a little bit over the top. Um, but I guess we we just have to blame uh, if I could like for that because he written it that way. So, yeah, yeah, true. <laughs> um, Do you think they will pursue a sequel when all is said and done? Because I assume that we, we, it's going to fall more on L because we, we he he's distraught by that point. He's lost his uh, not his father, but uh, his, someone who's a guiding light in his life. And uh, exactly, you, you know, emotions are you know at an all time high at that point. And uh, um, and we never we 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 didn't see if he wrote down Light's name in the book. That's the open end exactly. thing. Exactly. Right? I feel like okay. I would be happy if we got more. Like. Those two characters, I actually am quite invested in. I do like lights, and I do want to see L get justice for what's happened. Because mm-hmm. the way how distraught he was to find out that Watari was being killed, and just to see that he went off the chain, like he was in face covered in the sand. He was running down the street with a fucking gun, trying to find this boy and finish him. Mm-hmm. And I- I'm not too sure what we saw if. Um, Light had a little scrap piece of paper and just had a standby like if I get cornered have a guy come out with a plank of wood and knock out the fucking detective I was like, <laughs> like some chef was on a fag break and said oh, I'm gonna hit the black kid there, it's um, it's very well planned indeed, despite being uh, written in panic a strange cultish thing as well where he just said Something like, hail Lord Kira, and then just went back to his fag break. But I was like, um, was that written in the book or was that just a fucking psychopath in an alley? No, no, I think that was written in the book because I think they showed that that that, that guy was actually a child molester or something. And he kills himself or dies like shortly afterwards. Ah, so he's he's employing right. bad people yes. um, to, do, to do his bidding. Okay, that makes a little bit more sense. I just thought that was very random. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're right because he does write. It looks like he ends up going on like Reddit or 4chan or something and just getting a whole list of horrible people, and turns them into his minions, more yes. or less. Like one collects him from the water, the other one picks up the book and delivers it to the hospital, and just, and then the rest just kind of kill themselves over the next two days, just to kind of confuse everyone doing their investigation. All ideas I totally dig because mm-hmm. I I think that's uh, you know he, he is playing God and uh, and <laughs> it's going to work out exactly that way. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I didn't feel like there was any you know that he by the end of the movie that light you know has to. It didn't feel like he he got any comeuppance for all of this it didn't seem like this was that much of a consequence he's getting away with it yeah Mm -hmm. because 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 you you think that essentially the devil has let man play now Mm -hmm. and now you're gonna feel the negative tint to all of that and and it sort of never happens maybe happens in the possible sequel but uh, i don't know if they want to go down go down this route again after the hoopla that surrounded this one yeah aye and 
that's it. We are. We're left with that cliffhanger on whether we find out Elle's birth name or not. But it is. The door is wide open. Mm. So. And I and I guess those uh, questions are answered in the second Japanese movie or something like that. So if you <laughs> you want to resume I, it, I after watching all these, there is part of me that's like, fuck, I do actually want to go back and see that those films again. I know they're actually the most certain they're two hours each. Right. Which sometimes I think even watching them for the first time it is a bit of a drag. Mm-hmm. It, it could be done like tightened up a little, but um, I think you could find them pretty cheap second hand, maybe four or five pound each. So if yeah, I, I'd imagine. I think I might bite and grab the three of them. Just you don't have them still. No, yeah. I did. Uh, when moving house, a large chunk of my collection kind of got sold. Just right. for storage, right? Um, okay. But I, I feel like it's either that or just if I, when I go through like CEX stores we have here, so like I'm trying to think if you have a, a Swedish uh, equivalent of secondhand stores, but it's more focused on video games and right things like that. But they always have rakes of Blu-rays secondhand, and then have small world cinema sections where you do find your Hong Kong legends or. <laughs> battered old copies of Brotherhood and Ong Back for twenty five pence each. Right, I I I think that's a wonderful thing because I'm not the guy who's tied to like I'm Blu-ray only because obviously mm-hmm. you you know me Stuart I, I like laser discs obviously my standards are are low <laughs> so, so I, I if I had a store like that near near me I'm, I'm sure I would uh, pick up some stuff and binge on it uh, ten years after the fact uh, mm-hmm. ten years after the popularity. And stuff like that has uh, has ended, uh, but I'm sure you know Poundland or whatever it's called ah, exactly. over there. Exactly, they they seem to be knocking out any fucking horror film on Blu-ray that they could find nowadays. Hell, I found like half a season of Breaking Bad in there for some reason. <laughs> half a season. Exactly. The the more or less it was the final season, but to me the final season is that complete six season. But when that was given to the world, there was a one-year gap in between it. So I think this Blu-ray I bought was, say, season 6B and the final six episodes. Right. So I feel that's really half a season I've bought, not a complete season. Well, at least they didn't didn't exploit you because you you bought it so so far after the fact. So, um, Mm -hmm. you know. So he didn't need to pay like fifteen pounds uh, for half a season or something like that. So, <laughs> Aye, so, so all good. Definitely. All right. Have should, you got should any... we talk the uh, controversy at all? Yeah. I tell me. Well, I I didn't follow it as such. I mean, it, it's the whitewashing debate again, for for better or worse. Uh, in terms of that debate, could be very childish and, and irrational, and it could be very healthy, rational, and nuanced. Mm-hmm. But I didn't follow it other than on uh, on the surface, knowing that they're gonna make an English version of Death Note, and it isn't popular that they are. Okay, fine, it, great that you are defending your fandom, as, uh, and you should lift up these um, topics uh, into the light. Obviously, Ghost in the Shell did that um, 
uh, a year prior or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, the thing is, I could understand, although not accept, if if this would have been a Hollywood production and they would have taken a studio movie, right? Mm-hmm. And they would have taken a safe bet uh, in terms of casting to have a face for the movie to hinge their promotional campaign on, because that's what they do. It's exactly. not great, great that they do, but I would have understand it because it's part of the Hollywood machine. But this is Netflix. Mm-hmm. And they do reach an audience, uh, and a varied audience that have their material at the uh, click of a button. And they were, they were clearly not desperate for a face on the thumbnail uh, that previews the movie on Netflix as you scroll through the thing. It's not like Brad Pitt in Death Note, right? Exactly. It, 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 isn't, it isn't that. And the platform isn't reliant on, on the fact that there's got to be a face to everything, otherwise we're fucked. They have the money, they can take a chance. So Therefore, you you sort of wish wished in your heart that this could have should have been and could have been a case for uh, people taking more of a chance casting wise in terms of diverse casting. Mm-hmm. I, I know these are unknown and possibly newcomers. Some of these people, uh, I, I I don't know these young actors at all. Um, and if they had, but here's where they went wrong. If they would have made the movie without any official response to this debate about uh, whitewashing and uh, Americanizing it, that would have been, at least, it would have been yet another example of Hollywood doing their thing that deserves discussion and debate, but at least they would have stayed quiet. You know, they would have made their movie and let PR people do their thing. Mm-hmm. But but then someone fucked up. One of the producers, I don't, I'm blanking on the guy's name. He, he was one of the stars in Heroes, but he's now producing as well. Um, uh, ja- uh, Japanese American actor, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, he was one of the Japanese characters in Heroes and one of the producers here. That he put his foot in his mouth and made a comment about the talent pool that they went to in terms of casting Asian American or Asian at all. They weren't. That pool wasn't great enough in terms of. Uh, a high standard of um, spoken English. And that's coming from someone who's Asian. He essentially said that, well, there's not enough people that speak English, so we didn't cost anyone like that. And that made him and the production look very, very stupid. Mm -hmm. And their, their stock was rightly just, you know, if it was held in high regard before, which I don't think it was, it was definitely not afterwards. So I think... By saying that, I think people were right in judging the movie beforehand because that was such a stupid comment to make. That's not an. Well, I mean, there's plenty of Asian American actors mm-hmm. and young, young and old or whatever. And Netflix weren't casting a face, so you just wish that they could have taken a chance on this. Like, you know, let's challenge notions. Mm-hmm. Let's go uh, defy expectations of uh, what an American movie can be like. Uh, um, gr- granted, every movie should be judged once seen. And obviously, I I, I didn't know anything of it. And I went in blank. Yeah, I knew of this little snippet. Uh, but um, the debate is and was needed and certainly healthy. And that comment was deservedly, um, you know, they call, called him out on that deservedly so. And uh, um, and, and, and the thing also about the Ghost in the Shell, I mean, I, I'm not a very in- intellectual sort of movie viewer, and I like Ghost in the Shell. I did watch it just to see Takeshi Kitano on the big screen because I mm-hmm. love Takeshi Kitano, and he was badass in Ghost in the Shell. Right. But the thing with that movie was that it was all going ever so slightly okay, 
But then the twist in Ghost in the Shell, which I won't reveal here, in in terms, well, I should say this, in terms of who Scarlett Johansson was, right, and what they made her into, that's when I sort of sunk in my seat. Oh no, they're right. I'm they're whitewashing. It, it wasn't uh, originally Japanese, now American. Essentially, I have a Chinese. Originally, she died, and the cyborg was made into Scarlett Johansson. Right. Okay. Which wasn't a, a plot point in in the anime, actually. Yeah. So it was, and I thought, like, man, <laughs> so literal that, whitewashing. That's that's not going to sit well, and uh, it was kind <laughs> of a lame twist, to be honest, too. So, right. Uh, but yeah, yeah, that that's my sort of. Uh, 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 opinion on it that uh, it's um, it's a real issue I think and uh, mm-hmm. Netflix had a chance to uh, su- switch things around here and, and sadly didn't. Mm-hmm. I, I I tend to tune out to a lot of the whitewashing stuff when it all appears online. Like if there is a good reason behind it, fair enough. But I actually thought this one got under the radar without any controversy. I never knew about the the dude from Heroes putting his foot in it. But mm-hmm. yeah, I it it seems to happen so much nowadays, and whether it it's granted or not, I know, uh, like Matt Damon was taking shit for the Great Wall, which, to be honest, I think that one wasn't really needed as much as as some other ones are. Yeah, the the thing with the Great Wall was that they started the debate merely knowing the casting. Right, yeah. and they uh, and but but that production didn't really uh, make any boneheaded comments as such. Yeah, uh, and The Great Wall, for all intents and purposes, is not a great movie, but it's a fun little uh, monster movie romp. Mm-hmm. Um, and 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 I, when I saw the movie, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't any flag waving in terms of white savior in an obvious way uh, yes. as such i mean and, and and people have stopped talking about the movie because it didn't really do well either exactly. so they, they, it's, they, it's sort it, of come and gone yeah but i'm but you're I, right you, you 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 can and you should tune out and just view the movie and judge the movie based on its uh on uh, merits and all of that and mm-hmm. and if you realize and and um as you just said that the debate is out there, and that's not a bad thing. That you 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 don't have any obligation to to do much more than that. You know, yeah. it, it, it's not like you sitting there like, thank God they cost white in this movie. I'm so <laughs> pleased. <laughs> like it, it's not that you are doing that, not at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, no. I think outside of that, have you got any other uh, ground we should cover, Ken? Well, uh, uh, one very final thing. Uh, Again, a movie that struggles with moods and uh, quirky in some areas and serious in some areas. Then to add outtakes on top of that was yes. very confusing. Ah, that is very good point. I did actually have that mentioned somewhere. Let's scroll back a little. Uh, so uh, outtakes there with music on top of them, but the, the, the flub lines and stuff and people laughing. And of mm-hmm. course they had fun, but... It's also, sort of even certain Jackie Chan movies don't need outtakes because yes. it was a serious movie. Oh, <laughs> yeah. This looked like they sliced in outtakes to what looked like the ending credits to like an American Horror Story or <laughs> a True Blood if you want to go back 10 years. Yeah. It just looked like, right, here's something grim and dark. Like you've watched something spooky. Now kind of let's have a wee laugh at the characters as they just 
as they do, they, they slubbed the lines. Like, that is a nice DVD extra. That yes. didn't need to be mixed in. Like, if, right enough, it maybe it reflects the film. Like, if, if the fucking tone of the, the fucking ending credits can't get it right, if that's got an identity crisis on whether it wants to be funny or spooky, what chances the film got? Mm. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I don't mind, I mean, you, you and I are fans of Hong Kong cinema. I, I don't mind this uh, switcheroo in moods. I'm quite receptive to it, but it needs to be done in a way that personally charms me personally and certainly you personally. And and, and this was a case where you, you, you're you not getting the tone right. Like you, you brought up Final Destination. Uh, I've only seen the second one, mm-hmm. um, which was quite fun. And uh, yeah, it's scary that, they're all doomed and they're all going to die no matter how hard they try and get away from death. And that tone, I thought, was great. It, it was uh, it was like like there, there was terror and there was stress, but the death scenes were fun. And yes. that, th- those conflicting moods, that was okay. They, they got that right. You can get that right. Um, you don't need to be serious and make a comedy in your next movie if you have a desire to do a comedy. Um, so it, it can work. It's just a case of um they did this isn't clicking as such um but uh but yeah mm-hmm. right i i'm gonna call it that is gonna be the end of our discussion on death note i think we've we went through we've given it enough air for our websites filmsandswearing.com we have reviews uh, i don't think we have any new reviews coming up soon i did request a boatload of movies from arrow and i I've got a feeling they might not come through on that request, which it could be a good thing because it was silly for me to ask for fucking <laughs> you, seven you, you're films. You're a father in and a podcaster, and you're a working man. So, how I, do you have time to review that much? You know? I know. Tell it to the silly cunt that was typing the email on his phone. Like, oh yeah, I only <laughs> wanted to order a copy of the Villainess. I didn't mean to order this Michael Caine film, The Incredible Shrinking Man, a Japanese box set of movies. And departures. <laughs> they read between the lines, man. Yeah, so they've done it before. Like, I think I requested a copy of A Fish Called Wanda, and that's out now, and I've yet to receive a copy. So, right, that was a movie I was wanting to see, but it's a blessing in disguise the fact that they didn't send it, and I've not had the right for it. Right on. Well. So. Can't have it all, Stuart. Yes, I. I was. I was in the moment. I wanted one film, and I asked for them all. Hopefully, <laughs> hopefully they've changed their minds. Um, so yes, there will like, be like a truck will pull up uh, to your house because they're, they're not sending like disc screeners only. It's the full full boxes and stuff like that. So I... you're gonna get the crate to your house. It's gonna be like that fucking Harry Potter film where. They're sending him invitations to Hogwarts and they keep avoiding it until the point where there's thousands of invitations yeah. flood through the letterbox, but <laughs> yeah. they're just little Blu-ray discs just falling into the Bay Area, just attacking my cats, burying my children. And I've got to watch them all. <laughs> oh, um, free, free stuff. Well, I know. Easy. It's almost a first world problem. I'm just going to wipe my tears with the thing on Blu-ray. Blu-ray tears. <laughs> uh, that's my new podcast. Um, so yes, Blu-ray reviews, all our social media, filmsandswearing.com. 
Uh, take part in our review selection process. Follow us on Twitter at FAS Podcast and vote in our future polls. Ken, you're a man of many websites. Please share those links with our audience. I'll keep it short and sweet. The podcastonfire.com, the home of the Podcast on Fire network. It's Asian cinema in a podcast. You came up with that. All right. <laughs> and, and that's where it is. A variety of uh, coverage of Asian cinema. Not just Hong Kong, but Japanese, Korean, sleazy, ninja, and a variety of other stuff in between. And I, I write uh, a variety of Hong Kong and Taiwanese reviews over at SoGoodReviews.com. And my uh, social media links are scattered all over those sites. So uh, if you have an inkling to uh, read some stuff or listen to some stuff, then... Um, then by all means uh, check us out and uh, be grateful uh, eternally to Stuart for essentially starting my path as a podcaster he <laughs> he uh, st- started us off with podcast on fire he invited me on and here we are eight years later or so eight years nine years I eight, uh, maybe, uh, ten, ten years even yes I definitely think we're on the brink of ten whether we I'm not I'm not celebrating <laughs> because because I don't because I, I don't know exactly when so and so therefore I, I don't care hmm. but it's great I mean I'm always eternally grateful to you you know that so uh, that's hmm. uh, that's my way of celebrating every day you're a good man Ken shout out Andros for our theme music thanks to Stu McPherson Kenny B Carol and all our listeners for tuning in and letting us fill your lugs but it's now that time of the night for us to pull out ladies and gentlemen fuck off and tune in next week <laughs>